Day Takeover on The Viewpoint. Bertha Charuma on SAFM. So our guest, um, Kabelo Chabalala, like I highlighted earlier, he's an author and uh, author of Journey from uh, Boywood to Manwood, founder and senior mentor at Young Men Movement, uh, which is an organization that focuses on the reconstruction of the socialization of boys to create a new cohort of men in society. Also a journalist by profession and his former senior layout sub-editor for independent uh, media group. Uh, Prior to that, uh, he was into advertising and advertising specialist, consultant at the Pretoria News and uh, former columnist for the Citizen newspaper and uh, obtained his diploma in BTEC in journalism from the Tswana University of Technology, also a preacher. Mm, interesting. Having obtained a theology certificate from the Johannesburg Bible College. So he chose Azana. Let me welcome my guest. Good to have you. On the viewpoint. Good evening, Betha. Good to be here with you. And welcome to the hashtag Tuesday Takeover. Thank you very much. So why? Why Azana? So, why that particular song? Uh, that song, um, I think about how long have you been married for? Two years now? Yeah, going going into our third year. So about three years ago, my wife used to play this song quite a lot. There's a part that says, To translate that, I'm going to birth you children um, and grow your surname or your whole tribe. Yeah? And I think she's she's doing that quite well. We're blessed with the son and who's growing, whom we love so much. And I think it has started that trend to show that, mm, really, really, this bongo is going to grow. So it has always been our song. And I think prophetic more than anything. And that's why we love it so much. And every time it plays, even if when I'm alone driving to far places, I play it when I think about her because, yeah, it carries so much meaning. To we're us, we're sending it to the universe. How many children do you want? I'm sending um, it. I'm sending that. Maybe know. three should be enough. Ah, let's make them five. Okay, five it is. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way she's looking at me like I've lost my marbles. <laughs> chances are, chances are. So you've been a journalist for, for, you know, for a minute or so. I mean, for a while, for a long time. Mm. And also, um, I was just going through your bio where, you know, you, 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 you were a, an, an Obama, um, you were part of Obama Leadership Africa 2018. Correct. That must have been quite exciting. Very fun. Um, I think w- when you meet with like-minded people across the continent, it just reminds you of how maybe chosen you are to a degree. Oftentimes when you come across people from north africa west africa and central africa they get a sense they don't actually take the southern people seriously so i may confess because i've been to ethiopia i've been to kenya where you interact with them and often their point is that we tend to not take certain things seriously like our democracy like the freedom that we get to enjoy so every time i'm in those spaces and we get to interact and exchange they always say are you sure you're south african i'm like yeah, guys, I am. And apparently my height also doesn't really do justice to my justification to why I'm a South African. They normally think I'm from those Western African countries. So it's, it, it was great because you also got to meet the richest men in Africa. You also got to meet some of the most inspiring leaders. Dangote was there. Um, yeah, we got to interact with him, ask him a lot of things about where he is. Obama himself came through. So it's one of those things where you're like, 
really, really thank God. But again, I spoke it into the universe, I think, over almost 20 years ago, um, while I was doing my matric in 2008, chilling with my grandmother, may her soul rest in peace. And I told her that one day I'm going to meet Obama. And in her tonga phrase, said to me, Wapenga, which means you're crazy. But it did come to pass in 2008 that I got to actually, 2018, where I got to actually meet the man. So just like you, I actually do believe in saying things. And the universe does I, listen. I told you, I've sent it. <laughs> it's sent. I don't think it's coming back. It'll come back in, in the form of manifestation. Amen. So you also uh, uh, wrote for Sowetan. You were a column, columnist for, for Sowetan. And today you are going to talk to your guests. Maybe, uh, you know, let's spill a bit of tea. Who, who are we expecting? We're expecting, expecting the great Ace Moloi from the Free State and another amazing young man called Leroy Tau from Pretoria, Soshangube. Uh, the conversation will be around being authors and writers and how we actually juxtapose the two and how they have actually fared. One of them is actually internationally published one of them is doing greatly as a self-publisher so just want them to explain how things are going in that particular space why they chose the, the directions that they took I'm an author myself and I actually have a second book which was published earlier this year called A Woman I Am Because You Are so I, I, I'm very much interested in how we are doing in the publishing space why do we have to still go the traditional route if there's an option what do they think about audio books and so on Mm. And I'm such an advocate for your work, um, you know, um, especially when you wrote a journey from boyhood to manhood and then, of course, creating a young men movement. What is it that you you impart to these young men? So oftentimes when we are on platforms like this and you try to explain to people that almost half of the challenges that girls and women face and men themselves um the numbers show that men kill men, boys kill boys, boys kill men. And GBVF as a whole, it's, it's, it's a problem that actually manifests from the perpetrators who happen to be boys and men. So if we are to actually get rid of it or eradicate it within our society, it's important for us to actually see how we nurture these boys or their masculinity. How do we redirect this masculinity to be more softer to be more healthier and i believe that if these boys could actually come into spaces where they explain to themselves why they have to be healthier why they have to be better we'll then start seeing results there won't be a need for a girl to feel um, unsafe in walking the streets of Joburg or wherever that they might be. There's no need for us to be worried about them sharing spaces and whatnot. So it's important for us to deal with the masculinity and nurture it differently so that we can create a new cohort of boys and men. Well, we're just going to take a small break. And of course, our guest this evening uh, taking over the airwaves for the next hour, hashtag Tuesday Takeover. Uh, that's Cabello Chabalala, author, PR specialist, and also a preacher, which is a portion that I didn't even tap into. But uh, it will be interesting. Most probably we'll have a conversation when he's done with his guests. Let's just take a small break. We'll be back. Bertha Charuma on SAFM. Good evening. My name is Cabello Chabalala, the village boy, and this is your Tuesday takeover. I'm going to be your guest for the next couple of minutes, and I have some interesting 
guests that are already ready to actually share some of their stories, you can call us in studio on 86 and send your voice notes on our WhatsApp line, which is 061-4104-107. I'm going to repeat that number for you. It's 061-4104-107. Keep them under one minute, please, so that I can be able to play them for you. And I hope you had a, a blessed day and that everything that you're dreaming of really comes to, to life. But I just want to tell you a little bit about my guest. Uh, the first one is Leroy Lesejo Tau. He's an acclaimed philanthropist, relationship expert, social activist, speaker, author of the bestseller, Confessions of a Broken Man. And he has written other books for, for that matter, which I hope we're going to delve a little bit more into and he will explain further about them. And our second guest, it's Ace Moloi. Mr. Moloi launched his radio career in Cosby FM in the Free State. He is an award-winning content writer, communicator, radio broadcaster, and an author. Gentlemen, good evening. Evening, how are you? Ace, how are you? Good evening, Kamelo. Good evening to your listeners. And I'm very well. Thank you. And how are you? I cannot complain. Gentlemen, I'm going to start with you. The internationally published Ntate Moloji. Um, I have a question for you. I just want to find out. How are you finding the publishing industry, particularly the local one in South Africa? Um, uh, the the local publishing industry is very challenging. I think by this time, um, any person that is interested in the in the literature landscape of South Africa knows that we have one of the smallest smallest markets for books ever, um, for a country like us and. This then means that there's a particular financial challenge that, that is faced by uh, publishers, that is also faced by authors. And because also of the, the multi-layered nature of the stakeholders that are part of the writing and the publishing process, um, your suppliers, your distributors, your retailers, and all of that, uh, because of that, then it means by the time, whatever amount of money that you as a writer make uh, gets to you, it's also the smallest of it all. So personally, I find I find the, the the book space in South Africa to to be really poor. It's quite impoverished, to be honest. Mm. And uh, we don't really have patrons, uh, patriotic customers mm. that live to push the um, the writing space. Of course, we do have influencers. We do have people that really love books. But proportionally, when you look at the size of our population versus the size of the of the market itself, it, it really is a concerning picture. Yeah, yo, that that doesn't inspire any confidence. And and here I was thinking before God remembers me, I'm gonna be writing almost about ten books. Leroy, um, I know you've done very well in the self-publishing space. How is it looking in that particular space? Uh, I, I, I'd have to agree with that. Uh, it's challenging, but there is a market. Uh, but one thing that I think we must agree on is. We need to develop as much as we're developing a a barking, a culture of writing. We need to develop a culture of also reading mm-hmm. and converting people into becoming readers. Because mm. 
for me, for example, the reason why I think my book has done well is because I have concentrated on the emotional aspect of things. Okay. Most of the book, most of the people that have bought my books have never walked into a bookshop before. Mm. I've never even owned a book before. So chances are, I mean, out of 60% of the people who bought my book, uh, they were first time literally, they, they, my book was the first thing they've ever bought in terms of literature. Mm, mm. So it's because I've, I've managed to create platforms and spaces whereby I not only speak from a book point of view, but I speak from an experiential point of view. So it's a whole educational spectrum whereby you're not only touching their lives from a spoken word point of view, that also allows you to also uh, sell your product. For me, it's because it, the market is there. The issue is how are you cultivating that particular market in order for it to have a proper response towards your product. I mean, if people are willing to buy tickets to come to a seminar, it means people have the capacity to buy a book. So the idea now is how are we bringing, how are we cultivating the culture of reading and how are we presenting the story or uh, presenting the educational aspect of things for them to be for them, for the buyer to come to the place of saying, hey man, hey man, I heard what you said on radio. Uh, can I have a copy of your book? I, I heard you once speaking, book. I, I, can I have a copy of your book? So it, this is, the author needs to understand that this is a business, especially if you're talking self-publishing, because you don't have a whole body of a corporate company behind you making sure that the book reaches certain places. Mm-hmm. You are, you are that mechanism. You are that machine that needs to make sure that your book gets to where it needs to get. But you sell the person first for the product to be sold. And that's mm-hmm. what I think we need to, we need to master that. Uh, before anything, we live in a, we live in a, we live in a community that, that people see you on, 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 on Facebook, they see your post, and they would just love to get a book and get a picture with you. Mm-hmm. But there has to be an impact that drives them to want to dig deep into your thoughts. Uh, are, we, are, we, are we driving the narrative of being authors on social media platforms? Because you are an author, but when people go check you out, there's nothing that says Leroy writes. There's nothing that says I am interested to find out what Leroy thinks. Mm. Because I do not present literature that drives people towards a point of wanting to empower themselves because I have proven that I am worth listening to and I am worth investing in. Sure, yeah. It is 30 minutes after the hour 8. You are tuned in to Tuesday Takeover. Don't be surprised. My name is Kabelo Chabalala. I'm here for this hour and having a conversation about everything publishing, all things being an author. Ntatemoloi, I'm, I'm going to come back to you. And I also realize that oftentimes people want to be authors because they want to sell books and become bestsellers. In my case, from my first book to my second book, it had nothing to to do with becoming um, a bestseller. It was stories that I, I wrote because, one, the first book I wanted to at least be able to reach out to the boys in far places than my home village of Bangkok, but not necessarily to say I want to reach a thousand, ten thousand. Of course, the book itself has done quite well. The second book, I wrote it also because I wanted to honor the woman in my life, and I thought, let me do it the best way I know how. What inspires you to say, you know what, I'm going to write book number one, number two, number three, number four, and possibly even go further? Um, I think I would agree with you on the part that much of the writing is driven by the need to tell a story. 
Uh, stories by their very nature are quite compelling. So if, if you are a storyteller, then if there's a story that is sitting inside you and needs to be told, you won't find rest until you really get time to, to, to put the story out there. I think all of us carry a story. And for me, um, the driving force has always been wanting to share with the audience that I believe is called for my writing, mm. the things that I believe in and how I see the world and what I've been through and also connect with them and, and validate particular experiences that might even come across as hindrances as we as we pursue our lives. Mm. Um, when you look at a book like Holding My Breath, which, which details the story of my life, uh, through the lens, of course, of a young boy that's writing a letter to his mom, who is normal. Mm. Uh, the story itself touches on so many themes that each and every person who reads the book somehow finds a part of themselves in the story. Mm. But what I don't want to do, which I never want to put myself in as a writer, is to want to tell other people's stories. I mm. tell my story as it happened to me and as I see things. And then hopefully in the process of you reading the book, then you can relate with me. But the burden, the burden of wanting to tell black people's stories or black men's stories and yeah. all of that, I do not want to impose that upon myself. Also because we are different as human beings and mm. two people don't relate to a similar situation in the same way. So for me, that, that the driving force for all of the books would be I really feel I want to share my experience or... I want to share my perspective on a particular subject, but in doing so, hopefully, um, because to be honest, it's a gamble. Mm. I, I know sometimes when we speak, um, having achieved certain things, we talk about it like it was a coordinated move mm. that you will write this and become a bestseller, but it's all a gamble. Even publishers will tell you um, it's a gamble. So you, you, you hope that whatever you have to say will resonate somehow with a significant portion of our population that will then lead to you becoming a literary success. Otherwise, it's all about the story that you personally want to tell. Yeah, I'll, I really like that. Um, please don't forget to call us in on 086-000-2036 and send those voice notes. I want to hear your thoughts about what Ace and Leroy have already shared. And the WhatsApp line is 61 Four one zero four one zero seven. Keep them under one minute, please. It is thirty three minutes after the hour eight. I'm in conversation with Ace Moloyi and Leroy Tau. Leroy, um, I, I look at your your your, your bestseller, Confessions um, of a Broken Man, and I realize that even though it's Confessions of a Broken Man, even women got to relate with it. What is it about being authentic about your story? that you know that I'm not targeting any specific person. Um, you are writing the story because there's a need for you to tell the story to the world. And and that that reaction that you get, what what really, I mean, that the whole title, Confessions of a Broken Man, already people are thinking, mm, what led you to, to write that particular story? And how, how, how are you receiving the feedback from the people that grab a copy? I think I, I attended a, a, a revival uh, once uh, back in the day, a long time ago. And this guy was preaching and he said, um, what you don't expose, uh, you don't have control over and you will never conquer. 
And later, in, 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 as, I, as I grew up and matured, and I realized that uh, some of the things that we go through and the habits, and I'd call them sins or weaknesses or whatever they are, mm. if you don't get to a point of exposing the weaknesses that you have, uh, they end up owning you. Mm. So you and, and you don't get in a place where you are able to deal with them or overcome them in any kind of way. Uh, the reality of the matter is that when, 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 when the title Confessions of a Broken Man is, is, is set out, there is a brokenness in everyone that everyone can relate to to say, I, I might not be a man, but I know that there's some broken places in me. I have been through so much. Sometimes it's because of things that happened to you outside of you, and sometimes it's because of things that happened to you because of you. And, and, and you need to be able to gravitate between the two aspects of life because there are things that happen to you that have nothing to do. You did not bring this on yourself. Life happened outside of you. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it starts raining right now, none of us are in control of it. It's something that is happening outside of us. We are not in control. But there are things that happen to us because we decided and we chose the choices that we chose and we ended up facing the consequences of our behavior at the ultimate end of the day. So the reality here is that there is something about authenticity that brings people to a point of listening. Mm. Because people are longing and hoping and praying. The reason why church is not doing well these days is because there is no level of authenticity in it. Because it's the, the minute you speak from a place of where you come from, instead of speaking from a place where you are, you touch people who are who are who are still struggling with things that you struggled with when you were there versus uh, when you are here. So I think the problem is if you're going to write and if you're going if we're going to talk about writing in terms of touching and, and inspiring people, it, we always need to write from a place of where we come from versus uh, writing from a place where we are. Because where we are, we figure some things out. Where we are, we are better than, we know better than we did before we did the things we did. So there has to be a braveness that comes into say that even parenting as well. You need to parent from a place of where you come from. Because uh, when kids realize that you're human and kids realize that you have been through the same things that they, have, they are going through and this, these are the effects and the impacts thereof, they relate to you much more better than you acting like you have never been where they are. And now they feel like, compared to you, they are worse human beings. So confessions of a broken man was literally me taking a bath in public and saying, but from Udimu, uh, I know I say, I know when you hear me speak, I speak well. I know when I dress up, I, I, I look the part. But there are places and elements in me that are broken, that have led me uh, to behave in a particular manner, that have led me to break people's hearts, that have led me to break bridges, uh, to bend bridges, and, mm-hmm. and to be distorted in my own self. So the reality here is authenticity. Is, is, is the great is the greatest tool that you can ever have to capture not only people's attention but to bring them to a place of of saying I am not alone. Uh, I'm glad that you could say that. I'm glad somebody said it. I'm glad that somebody that somebody who's brave enough to say that I have I struggled with masturbation. I've struggled with pornography. I have struggled with sexual addiction. And just because somebody was brave enough to say it, it mm. allows the people who are going through it to come to you and say, my man. Thank you for sharing your story. I am going through the same thing. Can you help me navigate my life out of this particular me? Yeah. Yeah. Gentlemen, um, I'm really, really happy that we're having this conversation so that whoever that's listening to us and is an aspiring author can understand some of the challenges that we go through. Ace, 
uh, now I want us to shift gears and, and because we are not, I'm not good with time, but if you tell me that in a paragraph, I know how many words would that contain. So I'm going to shift gears. You know, if I say in three paragraphs, please, please, gentlemen, stick to that. You know, I say in one line, let it be that way. But Ace, <laughs> I just want to understand from you. Um, I often say, and I've read quite um, a lot of Titi uh, Dangarimba, I've also read Chimamanda uh, Gozi Adichie. And what I found mm-hmm. interesting with the two authors that I just mentioned now is that they they write a lot of fiction. But when you get to listen to them, you know, when they do uh, public lectures or whatever space that they are in and they're telling their own personal stories, you realize that whoever that you are reading about in one of their books actually is a direct resemblance of the person that you are listening to. So I want to find out how much of us is revealed in the fictions books that we write or how much of who we would have possibly liked to be is reflected in the fiction books that we write. Um, It's a whole lot. In fact, I think the entire foundation of you writing fiction is the realities that have surrounded you in your home, um, in your family, even the things that you struggle with personally. Mm. Um, if you you made you made mention of Shmamanda, I think if you read Half of a Yellow Sun, yes. um, it talks about things that really have happened and her parents uh, being part of that whole situation, being a university lecturers and all of that. Mm. It happens to a lot of other people. Most of what we call fiction is in fact just a, it's a creative reflection of the reality that we are faced with. So when, when we do write either narrative non-fiction in the form of biographies and memoirs mm. or we, we go full scale on on fiction we really have nothing else to bring but ourselves yeah and 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 i guess then it's really the that the fiction part of it allows you to actually alter whatever that you feel like you could alter rather than you changing the whole narrative correct yeah so to a certain extent there's a there's a, a personal truth to every character mm. and then what you then do is just to play around with some of the things but um the imaginations that we have are inspired by the things that we call up seeing so someone somewhere behaves like someone that you know either a neighbor your father your uncle to a certain extent but there is there is never a possibility that you can come to the writing place and not bring all of those other parts that that has become a part of who you are yeah 2041, it is Tuesday Takeover with myself, Kabelo Chabalala. Again, that number to call, 086-000-2032. Leroy, there's a book you titled, I'm Not My Wound. Um, how did you come to that realization, that point where you realized that, yes, I've gone through this. Yes, this is what has pained me, but I'm not going to be defined by my wounds. And I think... A lot of us get to spaces where we define ourselves by the bad things that we actually went through, rather than sometimes identifying ourselves through the good things that we went through. What inspired that writing? Look, I'm a firm believer that we are we are we are total aggregate of the experiences that we have experienced, and 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 and. Uh, be, being a black child and growing up in in a, <laughs> a black in a black township or social, so you realize that there are very few elements of inspiration of inspiration around. It's like it's almost like the environment is set up to break you uh, in one way or another. But this is the point where you realize that your 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 imagination needs to be stretched to a particular proportion that 
despite whatever is happening around you and how how what is happening around you makes you feel, whether it's a, it's a loss of a father or not having a father, whether it's growing up in a dysfunctional family, whether it's being dyslexic, whether it's, it's the inability to perform the way other kids are performing at school, there has to be that in, inclination in you, that, that belief, that hope, that builds, that builds you up from within, that it doesn't matter how much my world is breaking outside of me, but I, I, I have, I'm firm in my belief and my hope that I'm going to be great and I'm going to become this. And I'm not going to allow circumstances and things that I'm going through and how I see. It, it, it's not only about what you go through, but it's about how what you go through makes you feel. And I think we don't talk about the feeling aspect of how, of what, of, of how what we go through makes us feel because that's what brings you to a point of feeling like you're useless, you're worthless. If my father was around, then what, 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 It is that feeling element that literally psychologically breaks you, emotionally breaks you, and literally weakens you from a spiritual aspect. So you need to come to that place of, of defining yourself outside of your circumstances and defining yourself outside of your feeling and pain. I am not how I feel, and I am not what I went through, and I'm not what I'm going through, but I am that which God says I am. So not defining you with what you are going through and how what you are going through is making you feel is what brings you to the place of saying I am not my wound, because that's, a, that's, that's you taking ownership, that the rape is not going to define me. My father living is not going to define me. Not, me not passing a trick and me not having attained, me not having a car at the age of 35 or me still living with my parents at the age of whatever. These are circumstances. These are things that I'm going through. These are things that are happening outside of me or inside of me. But these things are not me. And if you're if you going to, to take that stand and that declaration and take ownership of your own personal responsibility to say, I'm responsible for me, I deserve better, and this is my vision statement, and this is what I am working towards, and this is what I'm fighting uh, to attain. Nothing that happens in you or outside of you is going to stand in your way. So I'm not my own. There's a simple declaration to say, in all honesty, it does not matter what happens to you, outside of you, or in you, or through you, or whether you are going through it or you are coming from it. The reality of the matter is, if you are going to take that personal responsibility of saying, I am what God says I am, and I am beyond, I'm beyond and above everything that I'm going through, you get to that place of owning your, your 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 identity and not allowing the things that you're going through. So I'm not my own just simply a declaration of saying we need to free ourselves from the perceptions of people and life and free ourselves from the expectations. You know sometimes I think we work so hard to attain that to live within the expectations of other people instead of being comfortable within our own selves and reassuring ourselves to say you're doing the best you can. I'm proud of you. If we pushed a little bit longer and a little bit further, we're going to be better people. I know that you messed up yesterday, but I think we can we can find a solace in ourselves to say we can build from the mistakes and become better individuals. Believe it or not, everyone is going through something. Yeah, yeah. Even the people we are looking up to are going through something. And sometimes we, we, stop, we stop in the progressing of progressing uh, because we live a little... Yeah, I, I think I disappointed Kabe a lot. And then now you stop living your life and you stop trying to become a better person because you feel like uh, that person that held you to a particular uh, status, uh, you have disappointed. There is still more life left in us. And the reason why we fall into mental health threats is because 
we are not taking ownership of our own life and we are not taking responsibility over our actions. Because at the ultimate end of the day, uh, the things you are feeling and the things you are going through... In, in 15 seconds, in that town. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you for that. Uh, Ace, I, I just quickly, in 90 seconds, I just want to find out from you. In a space where we have audiobooks, um, why do you keep going back to that traditional way of telling stories? Um, I'm not necessarily going back if you are asking me personally, but mm-hmm. I think um, it's something that I, I, I was even sharing on Facebook, I think, um, earlier this week, that it's high time now I start exploring other technological tools of literature. But I think there is a certain um, there's a certain feeling that you get from reading physical copies of books mm. that I believe that it's very hard for most of us to let go. Unlike with music, when CDs were fleshed out and all these physical copies were fleshed out and we moved to the streaming platforms, it was um, a, a seamless process, one would say, because we seem to just embrace all of these other platforms. But with books, it's still really much harder. For, for me personally, but I believe for many other writers as well as readers, um, to just let go and go into into the space of audiobooks. But I believe the market is thriving in that regard, and it's high time that also we have quality books that are part of the audiobooks, because to a certain extent, some of the audiobooks that I've tried to listen to, mm. the standard of storytelling and and the writing quality is not really on par. Yeah. But that's the fault of the other people that have written really good books by not also then translating them into those other formats. So it's something that, in short, I'm, I'm exploring in 2024. You'll definitely get a lot of that uh, coming from me in the next year. Yeah, we, we, are, we are actually taking a different turn, realizing that some people really don't have time to to actually sit and and, and read yeah. or open a book. And and I see this mm. a lot on the How train. Um, I commute between Centurion and Centen quite a lot. And I've realized that sometimes, even if I had that hard copy with me, it's very, very difficult to just pull it out because sometimes you don't even have a seat. But I can imagine that with the airports, I can just plug them, press play, and listen to whichever voice that would have been chosen to narrate that particular story. And I think... It, it's important for us to realize that times have changed. Yes, all of us love that smell of a printed book, but we are moving in times where sometimes it's actually not convenient for us yeah. um, to actually mm. open a book mm. and try and, and go about it. So I, 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 I love how you actually put it to say that going forward, you just don't want to focus on the hard copies. You want to get to a place where um, Kindle can access most of your copies. People can just press yeah. play and listen to mm. it and maybe even finish it quite quicker um, than, than they would under a normal circumstances. You still tuned in to the Tuesday Takeover. My guest, Andate Leroy Tau and Andate Ace Muloyi, we are talking about everything books and I hope you are enjoying the conversation. Let's take a short break and we're going to come back to that. Bertha Charuma on SAFM. It is 20.51. I almost said Central African time just to sound more international. Well, you still tuned in to the Tuesday Takeover. Don't be surprised. Again, it's Cabello Chabalala. My guests are Leroy Tau and 
Ace Muloyi. Often I hear people say, show me your friends and I'll tell you who you are. But in today's conversation, I would like to say, show me your bookshelf and I will definitely tell you who you are. Leroy, in two minutes, right? And this time I'm really, really timing everybody. I realize that authors can really talk, guys. You don't have, you won't cry for time when you are with them because they can say so many things, so empowering, so effective that you actually don't want the conversation to stop. What are you currently working on, Mr. Tau? Uh, look, I'm, I'm, I'm pushing, uh, decoding the love code, my new book. Um, it, uh, it, uh, I'm sharing so from confessions of a broken man and my inability to make relationships work. And me using the words of love to try to meditate things that I had to grow from and heal from. So I put together a book that could help uh, somebody that wants to be in a, a functional, healthy relationship. Uh, there's no need for you to see how red the red flag can become. So decoding the love code is what I'm... It, it just really published. I released it uh, early this year. So that's what I'm pushing. Ah, all right. And and is it going to be really? Is 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 there something that you're working also, you know, on for the coming year, or it's really just about pushing this particular body of work? Look, it, it's about pushing confessions and decoding the love code uh, in terms of sales, marketing, seminars, and one-on-one uh, sessions, and having conversations like this. I, I realize there's a lot of healing and a lot of growth that we as a people need to. Because uh, very few people can have such conversations mm. within their own space, but not because Abanyati uh, was born. Either they, they have, you know, we, we self-medicate ourselves with a whole lot of things. So mm. my my focus this coming year is to literally look at the whole aspect of mental health and how it, how how it's affecting our relationships and affecting us as individuals. So that's that's what my concentration and my focus will be on. It's going to be okay. Social media handles for you, Ntata Tau? Uh, it's, it's Leroy Tau on Facebook. It's LSG Leroy on Instagram or www.leroytau.co.za. And Tate Ace, you mentioned that we should expect an audiobook of sort. What else are you working on, sir? I'm, I'm working on a book that's called Heban, the South African Men's Conference. It's an imaginary um, a reflection of what we say every time on Valentine's when we say we're going to a men's conference. <laughs> so I'm I'm reimagining how that would look like, uh-huh. uh, which elements would be at play, what conversations would be had, and all of the other dynamics and drama and stuff like that. So I'm hoping it would come out in 2024, this coming year. Mm-hmm. It's really an interesting book. Yes, it's a mixture of humor, but also with some profound realities that we are faced with as men. On uh, different social media platforms, it's Ace Molloy. Just look for Ace Molloy everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. You'll find just Ace Molloy. That's where you'll find me. It will be an injustice not to ask you about how mm. holding my breath has went international. How's that feeling? And... and Oh yes, what is it oh yes, that, yeah. <laughs> that's that's a very marvelous feeling. Um, just I think it was about um a year ago, I got an email from the publisher Tabiso from Bloodbed, mm-hmm. and she was informing us that uh, some of our titles have been chosen by Rising Action Publishing, which which is based um in Canada, but also covers the rest of the Americas. So it's a great feeling to have a story 
that emanated from Kwakwa uh, mm. in the Eastern Free State all the way to Bloemfontein and the rest of South Africa now also being covered internationally. Um, it's a great feeling. I think it's a validation of what we can do when we stick to the authenticity of our experiences and we export that as part of our culture, um, ex- exporting literature as part, as part of our culture. So I'm happy and uh, I think it's doing well. I don't have the stats yet, but I'll let you know as soon as I get all the figures. I, I, I really appreciate that. Gentlemen, uh, thank you so much for your time this evening. I hope the listener got to learn more about publishing and story writing and how important that is, you know, going forward because we really get so many stories around how a lot of South Africans don't read, that we are illiterate, that we don't actually pick books, that if you really want to hide money, that's exactly where you should hide it, somewhere within a book. And I promise you, you'll still find it even if you come back after 10 or 15 minutes. So thank you for your time this evening. Thank you. Thank you very much for having us. And uh, yes, Merry Christmas in advance. <laughs> uh, that was Ace Moloyi all the way from Free State and Leroy Tawu, who resides right here in Gauteng, Pretoria. That was such an empowering conversation. And like I said, I'm not here for the whole evening. I'm going to take back this microphone and give it to the owner, Betha, and thank her for borrowing it to me for a good 40 minutes or so. And um, I hope you enjoyed the conversation, that you learned so much about writing and becoming an author and what it really takes to get there. And from myself, Stukulwana Shaka Chabala thank you so much for being in my company. Betha? So how, how was that? It was quite fun. Um, Painless, isn't it? Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, Just don't get excited. Don't get ideas. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, I will not get any ideas. As in taking I hope, over the show. I hope everybody's listening that I don't get any ideas. But if they do call me, I'm not going to say no. There you go. You see? <laughs> you see? You see? You know? They ask for a cigarette. They want you to smoke for them and... and, and yeah, it's going, you know it's, it. it's going left. <laughs> they Before you know over. it, they take over. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm out of here with my wife, my very beautiful wife, and we're going to sleep. It's been great. No, you've done an absolutely splendid job. Really, really splendid. I hope you've enjoyed the conversations. I did. And I could hear talking about, you know, publishing for yourself. Do you make money when you publish for yourself? Is it better than when you have a, a professional publisher? I don't know, because with me, honestly, the publishing route I chose had nothing to do with trying to make money. It was really about trying to remind the boys that grew up like me without their fathers and had similar experiences to say, there's no excuse. You can still make it without these people. So for me, it was to reaching out to people that are far from where I was rather than it being about making money. Did it make money? Yes, it did. But that was never the goal. The goal was really to share the story. And just before I, I gave you the microphone, I did say that we're going to talk about your 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 pastoring. Yeah. So what wh- happened? What, how I, did that come about? So I, I was thrown into deep ends when I was back home in the village. 
uh, particularly when I was the youth leader. And one of the things that frustrated me is that sometimes when you're a youth leader at church is that you need to preach, you need to do that, you need to... So I thought, ah, let me just go and self-empower because I don't see these people actually ever recommending this for me. And that's how I ended up there. But also, I love the Bible as a book. And I thought getting into the space where somebody will teach me was actually a great investment. Mm. And what what is the what is the next big big thing coming from you for me i i just want to focus on my family i don't want to lie i always say to people in their love that i don't want to be remembered for being the greatest employee or whatever i just want to be remembered for being a loving father but most importantly for being a loving husband i see the joy in your eyes amen it is so <laughs> it is so pure and so genuine thank you she's a lucky girl I love her. <laughs> She's a lucky girl. That's our guest for this evening, Kabelo Chabalala, and he did an amazing job. Let's take a small break. We'll be back.